What is going on, everybody? This is Ashton McCauley, host of Cryptids Decrypted. If you're new here, we've been on a bit of a hiatus uh, for, I don't know, two, three months. What is what is linear time? You know, who, who who's to say? Uh, last time I was on, I said maybe we would do some bonus episodes. We did not end up doing those, and instead have just come back with season four. So, you know, here we are. Uh, today, you're going to be hearing an interview with Benjamin Radford, but I uh, just wanted to let you know about a few things before we start that. So the first is, if you go to macashton.com slash merch, uh, we now have t-shirts and stickers, you know? T-shirts are about $17. I think stickers are four. Uh, I have that set to the lowest possible uh, profit margin on Redbubble, so I know they're still a little spendy, but hey, you know, custom merch when... Uh, when you're small like us isn't isn't easy. So if you want to rep the podcast, uh, go check out macashton.com slash merch. Uh, if you don't want it, totally fine. Just uh, keep listening and supporting us. The best way that you can support us is by sharing the podcast with your friends, rating us on Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening, or just like, you know, following us on Twitter, twitter.com slash cast decrypted, or our Instagram, which I believe is just cryptids decrypted. So thank you all for listening and uh, I hope you really enjoy this interview with Benjamin Radford, and I'll uh, talk to you at the end. All right, thanks. All right, so this is going to be the first episode of our fourth season of Cryptids Decrypted. We took a big-time summer hiatus because, you know, it's uh, making a podcast is hard, but we're back to kick it off with Benjamin Radford, fan favorite, my favorite. Uh, how's it going, man? It's been a while. Doing great. Yeah. Happy to be back on. Thanks for inviting me back on. Always uh, always love to talk to you about uh, miscellaneous weirdness, uh, urban legends and mythologies and folklore and cryptids and let's do it. You know, it's it's funny, like uh, every every time we do an interview, we, we end up coming up with interesting new stuff. And then what usually happens is I'll be out there researching another myth and I'll be reading an article and then your name will pop up. Like I was looking for, uh, we we were just trying to find some 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 ghost theme myths or you know like I don't know if you really call them cryptids or what, but we were looking for some ghost themed myths and I was looking through these top ten lists and of course, uh, one of the ones that popped up was you. Uh, so I'm just you know I I'm curious like where where did your interest in 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 ghosts and all that come from? Like how does it compare to your interest in? other cryptids and other weirdness yeah i it's uh it's funny you should mention that uh on more than one occasion i've been doing research for something i'm doing and uh i'll find something and i'll read it and i'll get halfway through and realize that i wrote it i'm like oh okay this sounds this sounds somebody plagiarized me oh and that's me never mind but no i mean you know, it's you know part of it is that you know uh, as as you know from doing the show and just your general interest these things are interesting right they're they're inherently interesting uh, in a way that, for example, accounting isn't, or uh, golf to me isn't, or so on. Um, so you have these these things in culture and in mythologies and and all around us, uh, cartoons, um, stories, fairy tales. Uh, I in sometimes sometimes even you know in in uh, in reporting in newspapers of things that are sort of liminally true. That is things that some people believe in some some people don't they're sort of contested and that that ambiguity really attracts me uh, i'm fascinated by the idea that there are potentially these things out there and by things we could be talking ghosts chupacabras lake monsters take your pick that um even today even even in the year 2021 
we still don't have a definitive answer to, uh, or depending on who you talk to, some people say that we do have a definitive answer and the answer is yes. And other people say yeah. we, we also have a definitive answer and the answer is no. Um, but there, therein lies the rub. And so that's always, that's always fascinated me is the sort of, the sort of search for authenticity and trying to figure out well, what's true and how do we know that? So um, basically, you know, I, I grew up, um, you know, watching uh, TV shows about mysterious phenomena um, and, you know, reading magazine articles and this and that. And uh, I think that I was always more interested in the, in the, in the cryptids uh, just because they seem to be more, um, uh, more tangible, more, you know, the, I, I, as a budding teenager, uh, budding uh, investigator had some slim, slim chance, however slim it was of actually seeing a Bigfoot or capturing Nessie or whatever it is, uh, in a way that, for example, I didn't necessarily connect with in the same way with ghosts or, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up in a, in a small town, but I, in, in partly a, a rural area, but it never even crossed my mind. There might be a crop circle, you know, down the road for me. So, so the, 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 the Bigfoots and the, and, and the, the Loch Ness monsters, uh, and those sorts of things always had a special attraction to me just because they're seen, they seem to be more down to earth, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think that I, I almost went the other way. My interest in cryptids came after my interest in ghosts. And I think it ends up coming from a, like a, a childhood in a family where, uh, like I, one of my parents believed in ghosts. And so was always telling ghost stories and like, God, even even at a time, had convinced me that I had seen one. It wasn't until like I was an adult that I was like, wait, you know, this might actually just be like a load of bullshit. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. And like, so I, I've kind of come full circle on that. And then cryptids weren't peaked until much later. Weirdly enough, by uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, that 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 was my first exposure. I think a real exposure to the myth of Sasquatch. I actually went and revisited that specific Ripley's Believe It or Not on the Oregon coast about a week ago. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's weird, you know, there's all, and in the Pacific Northwest, Bigfoot is kind of unavoidable. Yeah, that's, uh, it, it's all over the place there. I mean, you know, anywhere where, where you can sell a Bigfoot burger or, or t-shirt or hat, you know, why not? Yeah, you know, and I will say there's one coffee, there's a Bigfoot coffee stand in the pass, and they make, they make a damn good cup of coffee. I, and that's where they filmed Harry and the Henderson, so I've got, got a lot of love for that. <laughs> But so, you know, in honor of kicking off spooky seasons, we're going to talk ghost goblins, everything that goes bump in the night. And last time we covered orb photography and the Amityville horror um, and some of the greatest hits of ghosting. But I was curious if there have ever been any particular cases that have interested you or maybe had um, more substance than you would have expected initially. Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, you know, when you look at the high profile ones, you know, you mentioned Amityville, and of course, there's the Exorcist story and Poltergeist and and the the Conjuring versions. Um, you know, a lot of those, and and as you know, I've researched some of those, and as have some of my colleagues and, and other people as well. And you know, when you sort of get beyond the sensational, uh, dramatized story, and and in most of these cases, of course, you have. Um, you have some kernel of real life truth, at least the ones that are claimed to be based on a true story. You have some kernel of, you know, there actually was a Snedeker family. There actually was the DeFeo family and so on. Um, and then, then you have, you know, something happened. Now, what that's, how, how dramatic and sensational and true that something is, is another matter. But you have somebody experiencing something that ostensibly they can't explain. Um, and then you, you know, it gets some publicity, uh, certainly in the, in the 70s and 80s. 
uh, and uh, and then you would have uh, the Warrens. You know, Ed and Lorraine Warren would they had they had this sort of sixth sense of you know where where they could get a good story and inject themselves into the story, uh, and then oftentimes they would sort of you know basically it, honestly make the situation worse uh, in many cases where. There are families that believed, for whatever reason, that their house was haunted or possessed, and the Warrens would come in with these sort of ready-made template answers. Um, oh, well, this is a demon, and you know, and Lorraine, you know, Ed is a demonologist, and Lorraine is a psychic, and and so they sort of supplied. Unfortunately, uh, in some cases, you know, kind of harming the families, but also in enriching themselves in the process. Uh, they they sort of supplied this this sort of dramatized, sensational version of it. Uh, and then they hired writers, for example, Jay Anson um, and others. And in the case of, uh, in well, the Warrens weren't involved in the Exorcist story, but you had William Peter Blatty, who wrote the screenplay. And then, of course, then you had very successful films, which were themselves based on, on best-selling novels. So you have this, at each iteration, you have this, this understandable exaggeration, right? So uh, where I'm going with this is that is that oftentimes when you do sort of go beyond the surface of these high profile cases, it's this big nothing burger. It's like, hold on here. This, you know, on screen, this looks terrifying and dramatic and sensational. And then as you, as you sort of peel back each layer of the onion at the end, it's like, hold on, this is... This isn't at all what was what was claimed. I think we kind of see that with those reality shows too, right? Where where it's like when you have to draw it out for a season, you really see like how how mundane and how boring some of these things could be. Of like just sitting around like waiting for this stuff to happen. And Ed and Lorraine Warren, they I, I kind of think of them as like the P.T. Barnum of ghosts. That's a that's a good that's, that's a good analogy. I like that. Well, you know what's interesting is is that uh, one of the things is that. You know, I having researched ghosts for a long time, and I wrote a book, you know, investigating ghosts and all this. Is that when you actually talk to people, ordinary, average people who report ghost experiences, um, what they report is by and large nothing like what you see on TV uh, and in films and in and, and horror stories. It's it's this greatly exaggerated thing, and so you know, there are as as you know, there are people that genuinely believe in ghosts and believe that there's one in their home or their grandmother's home and whatever else, and they have interactions with them. And most of these are very mundane. It's, you know, I would interview somebody, you know, why do you believe there's a ghost here? Well, you know, every now and then when I walk in this room, I get a weird feeling like, okay, <laughs> um, I don't know that that <laughs> necessarily means there's a ghost there, but granted, or, you know, you hear like, you know, there, there's a scent they associate with a grandmother or missing keys or, you know, you know, just odd sounds and things like that. They're, they're very sort of mundane, ordinary phenomena that can frankly be attributed to, to many different things. And by the time people see depictions of these, this alleged ghostly or poltergeist activity on screen, it's blown up, you know, 10,000% and really bears no resemblance to it. And, and I, and I understand why that happens. I mean, obviously a screenwriter or a ghost hunter is going to try and, you know, make the most out of it and make a mountain out of a molehill and make it as dramatic and sensational as possible, because that's, that's how you get clicks. That's how you get attention. Um, but I think in some ways it actually sort of does a disservice to the more real, if you will, uh, using weird scare quotes here, uh, <laughs> ghost experiences, which, which really have little or nothing to do with it. So anyway, I, I'm sort of answering in a roundabout way. But I would, one example that I would give of, uh, of a ghost um, 
case that I investigated, and and again, I'm going to leave aside the sort of marquee Hollywood ones just because it's sort of been done to death and there's really not much there at the, at the bottom. And then plus many of these were, I mean, you know, the, the, the exorcist story was in the 1940s. So, I mean, I hit, there's, there's not much you can do with that. Other, you know, if, by, at some point uh, an investigator these days is left with, you know, the, the ashes of the ashes. I mean, there's, you're not going to dig up anything new on that. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you one quick case. So I was, um, this was about maybe, maybe 12, 15 years ago, I was living in Buffalo and I wrote about this in, in one of my books, uh, Scientific Paranormal Investigation. Uh, it's one of the chapters in there. And I had, um, I had uh, been contacted by a family, um, and they, it was a mother and daughter, uh, 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 two parents and a young, young girl. I think she was uh, three or four or something. And they contacted me because they, 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 they were sure that there was some sort of ghost or entity in their house. And um, I don't know how they got my number. I guess they had just heard that I do, you know, sort of science-based investigations. So they called me up and they said, yeah, I mean, you know, can you help us? They were generally frightened. It was, it was really kind of unnerving. Uh, they were refusing to sleep in their own house at night. Um, and this was between, they contacted me just after Halloween and before uh, Thanksgiving. So there was this window of time where I think it was a couple weeks afterwards. And again, they, they were so frightened. They weren't, they weren't even sleeping in their own house. They were staying with friends. And I said, well, you know, what, what do you think is going on? So, well, you know, we, we, we had this, these experiences and they, they sort of match what we see on TV and I'm like dying inside. I'm like, Oh God, (laughs) the fact that you're, it's matching what you see on TV is actually evidence against it being, but because yeah, this is that's one of my pet peeves with a lot of these ghost hunting TV shows, is that they they often sort of set the template or they basically implant the idea that a, a person or place is haunted when in in many cases there's really no evidence of, of that. But anyway, so they said, yeah, I, that's why I think the place is haunted, and they'd actually contacted a psychic, and the psychic without even going without even stepping foot on their property, told them that yes, in, indeed, their house is haunted by evil spirit. Which just pissed me off because that was just that was a wrong thing to tell these people. It, w- it turned out to be false. It scared them unnecessarily, and they didn't do any investigation. They just like, oh yeah, I'm psychic. Yeah, there's an evil thing there. You know, whatever. And anyway, so I, I, I again, I'm not, I won't go into the whole story. If people are interested, again, it's, it's a chapter in one of my books. But it happened in a, in a place called Lockport, which is about 20 minutes outside of Buffalo, where I was. And among the phenomena, and there was a whole bunch of phenomena, they, they, had, they had investigated themselves, which is usually not a good idea because, again, they, their idea of what ghost investigation is, is often based on what they see on TV, which is not investigation. It's trying to produce an entertaining TV show and usually failing. But they're, the, the <laughs> newsflash, you know, what you see, the, the, the Zach Baggins and the, the ghost hunters and the, all the ghost adventures. That's not actual investigation. And uh, so that, that's just what gets frustrating to me. So people use these, they see these TV shows and they use that as a template. And so there was, there was, they took a photograph of, of this, what they thought was a, 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 a demonic face in one of the photographs. There were the usual orbs that you mentioned earlier. Uh, and one of them, one of the phenomena, one of the ones that really creeped the, the, the father out was that he claimed that he was actually kicked by a ghost. Which is unusual. It's a ghost that kicks people, you know. It's like, a ghost that kicks people, right? And so, 
I'm like, you know, I, I, by that time in my career, I'd interviewed, you know, dozens of people who reported their ghost experiences along with their Lake monster, Bigfoot, whatever psychic, whatever else. But that was really the first time that I, there were, there were a couple people who would say, Oh yeah, I was, I was on a ghost sense. And I felt a chill down my spine. And I'm thinking, well, that's because it's December in Detroit. I mean, but you know, so th- th- there were a couple things, but um, this was the first time that I had somebody, you know, clearly and definitively state that he had been uh, att- attacked, uh, so to speak, by a ghost. And um, that really sort of that that made the whole case much more interesting because it wasn't just orbs. It wasn't just uh, a, um, a, you know, a, a scary demonic face uh, in a photograph, which, by the way, they, they used. Um, it's probably the last time in my in my career they, they actually used film. Uh, which was good for me because I could, I actually, I asked for the negative and I, I wouldn't have the entire negative exposed. Um, and when you did that, you could, you could see exactly what it was that you, from a, the way that it was cropped by, I think it was Walgreens or something uh, made it look a little bit like a demonic face. But if you take it to a professional and you say, don't crop this, give me the entire image. It was clearly not a, not a demonic face, but this, this one thing, and there, there were EVPs and, and different, different classic phenomena, but, um, the, again, the, the one that really caught my interest was him claiming he was he was kicked by a ghost. And I asked him, well, when did the when does this happen? Are there any other witnesses? You know, has this been recorded? And he said, no, it happened three or four times. And it was always um, it was always as he was falling asleep and it was by himself. And I said, well, why didn't anyone else notice it? He said, well, uh, that because the of the turmoil in the family and they were frightened and, and all this, uh, the mother and, and their daughter were sleeping separately. So he was sleeping by himself in a different room on a lightweight cot, and he was a big dude. He was a he was a, a um, he was a Ford worker, I think. Um, just you know, not super buff, but just a big yeah. big, big auto big worker guy. dude. And um, and he, and he he was a little bit overweight, uh, you know. And and so I talked to him anyway. So I'll, I'll fast forward to the to the to the story. So um, I and I couldn't figure this part out. I I, I investigated the court the the. The, the case over the over the course of about a week and I I basically solved most of the mysteries that they had posed to me the different facets of their haunting but the one thing I hadn't figured out was how what was what was going on and I just happened coincidentally to be mentioning this at a at a, at a friend of mine's house uh, it was it was actually the woman I was dating and her uh, her friends and uh, her friend's husband is a police officer. And we, we just had, I just, you know, they said, Hey Ben, what are you doing these days? I'm like, well, <laughs> actually I'm investigating a, a ghost attack. They're like, Oh, all right. Uh, Cause you know, this is when you, when you're a friend of mine, this, this is sort of conversation comes up and I described it. And she said, you know, that happens to, to Mark. I was like, what happens to Mark? He said, yeah. I was like, well, um, when he's going to sleep, his leg will twitch. And it, it, it's, it's just like being kicked by a ghost and he has sleep apnea. And later uh, in the years afterwards, it would become better known uh, as uh, restless leg syndrome. And it was mentioned on commercials because there were commercials about it at the time, RLS, which, and was, again, it was, it's not a hidden thing. It just wasn't really talked much about. And that was the answer uh, was that this, this auto worker guy was by himself. And as he was falling asleep, and this is one of the keys that helped me solve the mystery 
it would it always happened by himself on it with with one of his legs twitching and he interpreted that as a ghost because again he thought his he thought the place was haunted and so that's an example of where and and once i explained it to him he's like oh my god you're right you know i do have sleep apnea and that fits and so i i i'm at, i'm especially proud of that case because it was it was a case in which i as a skeptical investigator went in there I took the time and the effort to go there. I was not paid. This was all my own time, my own dime. And I helped this family who had been needlessly frightened and frankly scared by this bullshit uh, by the, the, the TV show Ghost Hunters and, and a psychic. So that's that's one example. Yeah, that's so interesting. And uh, when you th- when you think back to like those TV examples or movie examples, like they're, the ghosts are always doing people harm. But you're right in that like 98 percent of the anecdotal stories I've heard are never about a ghost doing somebody harm. It's just like they get a weird vibe or there's something kind of off or like, oh, there's a cabinet open and shit like that. Um, and yeah, like it, it's not it's not really represented. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of aggravating to hear about psychics like that trying to trying to just make a buck off people because it really is easy to scare anybody who has like a modicum of belief in this into thinking that there's something there because what you're talking about with ghost hunters like one of one of the ways that they try and find phenomena is by having a basically like a loose flashlight right we're, oh yeah we're, 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 like, oh, the, yeah. we're the battery's loose and it's just like all right sure Right. And if you and and I mean, this is the same thing again, it, it, it's old. It, it's old wine and new bottles. You know, it's like, oh, well, it's, it's it's exactly the same process. And I've seen it a million times. I've been on ghost investigations as you know, the, usually the, the token known skeptic. And I'm in the room and there's, you know, four or five uh, people who are ghost hunters. One of them claims to be psychic. There may, may not be a TV crew in tow. And it's like, OK, if there's a if, if there's a presence here, give us a sign. And they wait and they wait. And then like, you know, somebody farts or, you know, a, a car honks out and it's just like, come on. And it's like, oh, that's, that's the sign. Right. That's the sign. And, or, you know, or just anything. Right. I mean, you have people, I mean, I did, I did one investigation in Niagara on Lake, Ontario um, for a, a, it was a, a university of Toronto uh, film thing. And, um, and it was just, it was just bizarre because there were, I was there and it was, it was cold. And again, this is a, this is a place called uh, Fort George. And, um, and so the, the psychics are sitting there, you know, calling forth, you know, at, basically this is like, you know, 11 o'clock at night in the, cause of course they shut off the lights because of course they did. And they're like, Oh, if there's something here, give us a sign. And this is like an old building. It's not original for it's rebuilt, but it's, it's this old windy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, you know, anybody breathing or even stepping their weight differently makes a creak in the, a creak in the boards, including the camera crew behind us. And, and, and they're, and I'm like looking at this and they're like, Oh, wow. Give us another sign. Like that was, that was Mark behind you shifting his weight because he's holding a camera and like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah no it's it got and it's so like rampant and prevalent everywhere and it's just when it's produced it's really easy to believe so uh you studied myths from around the world and you know ghosts are a really interesting phenomenon that i think the the legend changes depending on where you are and just the way that ghosts perceives change or the ghost the way that ghosts are perceived changes based on where you are so i'm curious if you've seen any uh, cultural variations that you find particularly interesting in your research. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's that's actually one of the most fruitful um, approaches to ghost investigations. And unfortunately, it's often ignored uh, by ghost hunters. Um, understandably so, because they're not really interested in, in the in the lore behind it. They're like they want to rush out to you know some haunted place with their buddies at midnight and take a million photos and go back home and say they saw a ghost. So. Um, but you know, when you, particularly when you're talking about something like ghosts, uh, as you mentioned, there it, it's such a rich uh, body of, of lore surrounding them, whether they exist or not. Um, so that's always been one of one of the things I've been disappointed with is is the 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 genuine lack of interest and knowledge of folklore and the role of folklore in uh, in ghosts. Um, and you see this, for example, you know, it, it, with, with ghost hunting, where a lot of ghost hunting is what folklorists call legend tripping. Um, and some some ghost hunters recognize that term and others don't. And some of them find it insulting. <laughs> some don't. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, it's absolutely true. And that's 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 what we call that. That is not a, you know, cutting edge, you know, edge of the unknown thing. And I, I again, I talk about that in my investigating ghost book. Um, and, you know, again, it's it's the same process as. You know, people who, uh, you know, they, they want to summon Bloody Mary. So they go into or Candyman <laughs> the recent, with the recent film. Oh, I'm sure that's going to spike. I'm sure we're going to see a huge spike in Candyman sightings and summonings. I'm sure. But I mean, it, it's exactly the same thing. And so, you know, and it's fascinating because they, uh, I think in my book, I, I refer to, to it as edge work. And the idea is that these are these are people who they they sort of they see themselves as being, you know, you know, on the edge of, you know, discovering the paranormal and the unknown. And they're out there with their their EVPs and their their, you know, their their camera gear and this and that, again, oftentimes um, influenced by or in in, or copied after uh, some of the TV ghost hunters. And they. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, again, I'm not. I don't. I don't want to sound like I'm t- talking down about them. And that that's the, that's great. That's wonderful. It's fun little hobby. But they're not doing actual investigation. Uh, actual investigation, scientific investigation, <laughs> is a different thing. You need control groups. You need you need you need methodologies. You, you, there's lots of other facets that 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 a lot of ghost hunters just simply aren't, don't know anything about and aren't, aren't and aren't interested in anyway because that's that's not that's not interesting to them is you know get, you know having going to a location and getting uh baseline uh readings is is a crucial part of doing investigation and i see this over and over again where uh, i'll talk to a ghost runner and say yeah you know we went to this haunted house and we got there around seven o'clock we set up and between the hours of you know 9 p.m and 6 a.m we we you know we got all these readings and you know we we took a bunch of photos and we did provocations and all these sorts of stuff and I said, well, so, and what did you find? Well, you know, uh, right around uh, 2.30 in the morning, uh, the temperature dropped uh, unexplainedly by, by, you know, five degrees and these other things. And I said, well, what are you comparing that to? They said, well, I, it, 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 no, it dropped. It was this. I, I, <laughs> I understand that. What are you comparing that to? In order to know what is supernatural, you need to know what's natural in order to know what's an anomaly. You have to, you have to get a baseline. And this is one of the fundamental problems with the way that most ghost investigations are done is that the ghost investigators have neither the time nor the interest in, in getting repeated readings. So if you're going to go to a location, that's fine. You're doing the right thing, but you need to measure the environment uh, more than just when you're there. 
because you need more than two two pieces of data. Because if you say, well, um, to to see to them, this is significant. They're like, well, you know, it you know it was uh, it was you know sixty eight degrees outside, and then it dropped down to sixty four. I'm like, and <laughs> and presumably this happened next door where there's presumably no ghosts. So in order to know. In order to know whether what you're finding is significant or not, you need more 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 pieces of data. Um, in some cases, maybe dozens or hundreds more. So they would actually have to go to the same location over and over and over again, and collect data to know. But again, th- this is this is the sort of thing that they're just they just don't really. It's not. Oh, you have to go back over and over. I don't. That doesn't sound like fun. I want to go. I want to go stumble around in the dark. And anyway, getting back to your question. So, um, yeah, there's there's all sorts of, of different uh, different types of ghosts. Uh, you, you know, when you look at uh, the 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 cultural aspect of ghosts and ghost investigations, it's it's really fascinating because you know the 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 idea of what ghosts are and what they do, as you mentioned, changes over time. So, for example, during the Victorian era, ghosts were, uh, they were often thought to inhabit dungeons and and, uh, dark places, for example, in London. And they were associated with, with, uh, for example, the clanking of chains and coldness and dampness, which, of course, (laughs) is London in a nutshell. You find that in a dungeon, for sure. (laughs) Right. Anywhere you're going to find that, right? But, uh, but, but that has changed over time. So, for example, you know, my point is if you ask an average person in London um, in 1870, what do you think a ghost is? How does it act? And you ask that same question to somebody in Los Angeles in 2021, you're going to get very different answers. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the part of that is, is try, again, going back to the notion of, when when people are trying to communicate with ghosts or communicate with the dead, um, that uh, typically in in human history uh, around the world, when people were communicating with the dead or trying to contact ghosts, it was a relative, it was their dead grandfather, it was uh, their dead friend who died in an accident or something, uh, and so there the idea of communing with a departed spirit is 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 universally known um but the modern idea uh, that you again you see oftentimes on tv is that you know these you know hotshot ghost hunters with their gear and their camera or else they're going to go to some place you know the queen mary or uh, the overlook hotel or uh, or you know take your pick and and they're going to try and you know find evidence of a ghost and the idea and again if you describe that to somebody uh, 200 years ago they'd be like why why would you do that like why let's just assume that ghosts are real and they've been proven why would you go to another location and try and contact the spirit of somebody you have no connection to whatsoever or like a specifically bad person right like why would you go try and talk to this murderer like why is that a thing you want to do right and and why would they even why would they even pay attention? Even again, assuming all this is true, why in the world would you think that the the ghost of, of you know White Earp or Hitler, or would would want to talk to you? Right? It's just it's this this this. Anyway, the reason I bring that example up is it it, it really sort of demonstrates the um the the contrast in 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 just how culturally grounded assumptions about ghosts are. Uh, and you know you can also, for example, look at uh, at yokai and yurei in 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 Japanese lore, 
Um, and they have lots and lots of ghosts and some of them are scary. Some of them aren't. Uh, and usually they're connected to uh, nature. So they're connected to ghosts and, 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 you know, entities and streams and, and rivers and lakes and things like that. Uh, if you look to the middle East, for example, in, in North, uh, North Africa, uh, you have, uh, a, you have uh, genies or gin, which are, there's lots of overlap uh, with, with, of course, supernatural entities and visible beings that are conceived of in, in much the same way as ghosts are. Uh, so you have stories of genies and jinn in, in Morocco, Saudi Arabia, and elsewhere, um, that uh, where the, 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 uh, the entity, again, call it ghost, call it genie, whatever you want, uh, is associated with uh, treasure or a dark well or sewers. Uh, or, you know, caves, right? There, there are these places that are sort of universally proscribed as being, you know, out there with a capital T, like there be dragons. And so that's why in all these different cultures, you have these, these, these similarities uh, because they're adapting these, these universal ideas of what happens when you stray from the path. Uh, associated with with ghosts and, and and unseen entities. I do wonder too in the U.S. how much our like interpretation of ghosts is formed from like uh, basically repressive religious ideologies, right? Like we have we have a whole bunch of those, and it really has shaped stuff like especially if you look at Ed Ed and uh, Lorraine Warren, like they for sure for sure that's like a hundred percent where a lot of it comes from is like these kind of like almost like weird biblical interpretations of what demons and things are and uh it's it, it totally changes the way that the u.s looks at them versus everywhere else and of course our propensity to want to make a book no no you're, you're exactly right and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because you know we can we can again there, there's a lot there's lots of overlaps here right we're talking about ghosts we're talking about evil spirits we're talking about in some cases fairies we're talking about depending on where you are genies and jinn um but for example uh possession and exorcism right so you have you know the 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 idea that possession is inherently frightening um, is largely a Roman Catholic one, and it's you know you get into you know the the, the Bible mentions uh, possession, um, mentions um, Jesus casting out demons uh, in, in sheep and things like that, and you know there's a there's a line where uh, 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 Jesus or someone is, is is asking how many ghosts uh, how many how many demons there are and. And asking the demon's name, because of course that's one of the one, one of the things that it, the idea is that if you have if you can name the demon, you you have power over it. And the response is, um, my, my name is Legion, for we are many, and that's why Exorcist Four I think was called Legion. Um, but the but the where I'm going with this is that is that that's that is a sort of uniquely Roman Catholic Western vision of this because in other cultures and other, other religious belief systems uh, such as uh, Candomblé uh, in the Caribbean, in Voodoo and things like that, uh, the the idea of being possessed is a is a good thing. That's that people people seek that out uh, through. In in each case, it's mediated by somebody who sort of uh, you know a religious authority uh, in vood in Voodoo it would be a bokor. Um, in, in, in Catholicism, it'd be a priest, somebody who sort of negotiates and navigates that world. Um, so in, in many cases, the, again, for example, uh, voodoo or canoble, the, the idea of, of being temporarily possessed by a, a deity, uh, and some deities are good, some of them aren't, is it's cleansing, it, it, it's enriching, it's, uh, 
they 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 go to a person and they they have a ritual and they enter the spirit world or in some cases the spirit enters them and they have insights and they commune with you know relatives and whatever else and then through a ritualized process they emerge you know minutes hours uh, later and they are they they're all oh, I I feel enlightened I feel cleansed uh, you know thank you for for doing this um, and then that sort of got you know th- that. That got not twisted around, but that the version of of, of possession as being inherently frightening, uh, and 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 you know, d- basically demon inspired. Uh, that's what, what uh, William Peter Blatty uh, went with it. Um, and I mean, there are other versions. For example, you know, the 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 speaking in tongues um, is sort of a a um, possession light <laughs> version uh, where. It's it is morally it's socially um, acceptable to speak in tongues because you you got the power of the spirit in you and you're doing all these sorts of things. Then so it, it is technically a, a type of possession, although although within that context is seen as beneficial uh, instead of frightening. You know, yeah, it is always good to have guidelines on when it's okay to be possessed. You know, I feel like I feel like I'm looking for those on a daily basis. Like, is this a good or a bad possession? And clearly, religion is the place I should be turning for that. But given given the immense like variation and just it's it's fascinating to look at it across the world. Like, we're doing the episode after this is going to be um, spirits of South and Central America, but specifically we're focusing on uh, La Llorona and uh, La Madremonte. But I I do think it's interesting. Something about like La Madremonte is, you know, this is a, a long-standing myth. And the number of sightings are very low, uh, to like slim to none for modern sightings. And I find that interesting in other cultures of like a lot of this stuff seems to die off more elsewhere than it does here in the U.S. What is it about some of these things that lets them endure versus others that just seem to kind of like fade away and be a background story, but they don't really show up in the like the modern physical world? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, one one facet of it is is the degree to which the belief is syncretized. That is, it's sort of blended with the um, the the prevailing religious belief. So this is why, uh, you know, in in voodoo and kind of life, for example, you have uh, you have uh, Catholic saints uh, as being deities, uh, along with uh, a, a deity such as Imanja, uh, the mermaid god. Right, so you have this. So you know, so the 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 strict the fundamentalists are horrified at this. They're like, no, that's not that's hold on. They're like, no, this is our religion. Um, and so you know, when when, when uh, during the slave trade, when you had Africans uh, coming over and being being brought over, they brought along, of course, their own belief systems and animist belief systems and so on. And at the time, they're also being indoctrinated. Um, uh, by you know, many of the slave traders were Christians, uh, and so they say, "Well, you know, we're gonna they were gonna use them as as as, uh, as slaves, of course, but they also wanted there was also a, a sort of mandate to try and save these 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 souls, um, and so that's why they sort of forced them to uh, to you know learn the Bible and 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 you know indoctrinated all that, and so that's so that's one of the ways in which these uh, these themes can endure." Is if they're sort of blended together with an acceptable, uh, a socially acceptable, um, uh, pre-existing belief system. Um, you know, and the, you know, it's interesting you mentioned La Llorona. I mean, I did a I did a chapter on La Llorona in one of my books, uh, Mysterious New Mexico, because uh, you know the book is all about New Mexico, and, and La Llorona is is a 
purely it's a it, it's a it's a New Mexican um, among other uh, places myth. And uh, from my research, it actually traces. I don't want to give any spoilers, but from my researcher, it it, it actually traces back to a, a uh, an early German legend um, uh, of a gray lady. Uh, but in the in the case of La Llorona, part of the reason why it endures is um, is it serves a social function. And La Llorona is actually a really good example because. Uh, in the case of like, if I'll, do you want me to try to give a, a, I don't want, again, I don't want to scoop your, oh, no, episode. absolutely. Go, 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 go for it. Go sure. for it. So, so lighter on a, uh, it means the, the weeping woman. Uh, and the, it, very briefly, the story of lighter uh, and there's, there's different versions, but the basic story is that, um, she's, uh, you, you often hear her crying, uh, on either full moon nights or moonless nights, <laughs> take your pick near uh, waterways. So near lakes, rivers, streams, uh, ditches, and, and so on. And uh, so you, the story is you can hear her wailing in, in the wind and she's crying because she's looking for her children or she's weeping for the loss of her children. Again, depending on which version it is. And, uh, and she herself killed them. Uh, so this notion that, uh, that uh, she she killed the children uh, in some in some versions it was for the love of a man who then rejected her and she the 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 guilt drove her mad um, and later on is especially interesting you know get, again going back to your original question of, of why they endure because uh, oftentimes these legends and stories endure because they serve a, a social function uh, particularly a moral um, a moral story. Uh, and in this case, La Llorona is taught, uh, certainly here in New Mexico, because I grew up with, grew up hearing about it, as a warning uh, to both parents and kids. And uh, I remember very clearly being in, in elementary school and hearing stories of La Llorona and saying, because the, the, the elementary school is not far from the Rio Grande River. It's two miles away from where I, where I was. And, and of course, the, the, as I mentioned, it's a small farming community, so there's ditches and things like that. And the story, the story was, and one of the main purposes of La Llorona is to warn kids, stay away from ditches, stay away from rivers. Don't go there. It's dangerous, right? Uh, because, you know, uh, La Llorona will get you or your parents don't want you <laughs> going in ditches uh, because, you know, th there are drownings, of course, and especially flash floods and, and whatnot. Um, and at the same time, La Llorona also provides a moral lesson to parents. So not only is it primarily a, a sort of bo a boogie woman uh, function, uh, telling kids to, you know, pay attention to your parents, or they tell you not to go by the river by themselves, you know, just stay away. It's also at the same time, a moral story to parents saying, watch your kids. Because, uh, you know, La Llorona will get you now, of course, or we'll, we'll get them. And now, presumably adults, you know, by the time you're of childbearing age, you've probably realized La Llorona is probably not really going to abduct kids, including your own. But the, the point is that, that, these, that that particular legend especially endures because it serves a purpose. It serves a social function of keeping kids safe. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I came to a similar conclusion when we were looking into the Wendigo. Um, the Wendigo myth, you know, primarily ends up being about greed and uh, basically any aspect, it's actually pretty broad, any aspect that would have harmed the tribe you could have associated with becoming a Wendigo. Like, I think it's it's morphed into being more about, uh, you know, cannibalism and all that, but it was really like anything, anything that could have harmed the tribe or didn't serve a social good could turn you into a Wendigo. And it's interesting that that's endured. And that's why I was so curious why, like, La Madre Monte has not 
like as far as the myth itself has endured, but the sightings and all that have not. Um, but that one also serves a social function because La Madremonte is the guardian of the forest and specifically goes after, I think, men who cheat on their wives, people who are going into the forest with no business being there, people who intend to harm animals, things like that. So it's just like uh, it's another catch all myth. And it's interesting that they do seem to kind of be everywhere. Yeah. And there's absolutely parallels. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's it's clever that you pair those two because it actually uh, pairs perfectly uh in my research into la Girona, for example you know you mentioned uh one of the functions of uh of you know scaring people straight you know cheating on their wives that was a common theme uh when i when i in, in my research i would talk to people and i would read accounts and one of the things that la Girona did was to was to scare uh scare uh people including adults to uh quitting drinking and not not having a wandering eye um, it was just, it was just, I, it was just sort of ironic and funny that this, this presumably scary, terrifying, uh, boogie woman, uh, yeah, there, there are stories that have nothing to do with children. Uh, there were some Llorona stories here in New Mexico in, in Santa Fe and elsewhere where the, the account was that, uh, that there was a guy and he was always, uh, he would get off work and instead of going home to his wife, he would, you know, go chase the girls and go out to go out drinking with his buddies. Until one night when <laughs> he, he saw a, an attractive young woman at the bar and she sort of uh, flitted out of the door um, in a flirty way. And he went after her to go get her number. And uh, he was just had almost caught up with her on the street. And she turned around and she was wearing a veil and she ripped the veil off and a beautiful face turned into, you know, an, old, an ugly crone or a death face. And since that day, he's always come home right after work, never, never looked at another woman and you know, kept the Sabbath. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting that uh even in the modern day and age, and that kind of stuff still works and still endures. Yeah, and 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 you know, you're talking about the the, the paucity of, of modern uh, sightings, and again, the, the same thing is is true to some extent with La Llorona. Um, when I was looking into it, uh, you know, I, I did find one book. I'm forgetting the name of it because it's, it's been a couple of years since I wrote the the book, uh, Mysterious of Mexico. But um, there was one that was basically accounts. I think it was published in Santa Fe, uh, and the the researcher had you know they collected. I don't know, 20 or 30 accounts of, of, uh, of La Llorona. And interestingly enough, sort of circling back to the urban legend aspect, um, many of those accounts uh, were blended with the vanishing hitchhiker urban legend, which itself is universally known. So an, another, you know, getting back to your original question is as to why some of these tales endure. It's because they, they in the process of folklore, they graft onto uh, other stronger, in some cases, pre-existing um, legends and narratives, and the two just blend together, and it's all the it's all the more powerful. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it, I, I love myths like this that are so broad, just with like spirits and all that, because there is there's so much. Um, and I'm curious, you know, we you know, we've talked a lot about different cultures. What if if you could go and and study? The, these myths in any given culture what what interests you what what would you go look at just from a folkloric point of view or ghosts or just anything weird uh let, let's let's say ghosts for now and then uh, we can <laughs> we can say from anything folkloric after that you know to be honest i i think i mean th there's not really sort of one you know outstanding ghost story legend that i've i've always wanted to tackle and haven't or anything like that and, you know nothing that quite got away 
Uh, I did recently do an article on the true story behind the entity uh, ghost story uh, and later turned into a film by Bob, uh, with Barbara Hershey. And that'll be published in an upcoming issue of Skeptical Inquirer magazine. Um, and the, the, the supposedly true story behind the entity is, is it's one that I had always, I just never gotten around to. And I finally dug into that one. Um, but I would say sort of more broadly, um, I, one, one topic that I've done some research on, but I like to do much more on is, and, and you might already know about this cause you mentioned, uh, looking into, uh, South American, Latin American legends, but that's, that is the, uh, the entity of the Duende or, or Tata Duende. Um, and I researched uh, the, the Duende uh, in several places, including um, uh, Nicaragua, um, uh, Panama, and uh, in Belize, and in Guatemala. And uh, basically, the, the Duende figure, uh, for those who don't know, it's, it's sort of a, it's almost like a fairy uh, trickster figure. Uh, but it's, it's, as far as I know, it's, it's that, that version of it is, is sort of unique to Latin America. And it's this uh, diminutive figure, yeah, male, um, usually between three and four feet tall, uh, often seen with a red hat or a little red cap and sometimes with a flute. Uh, and he sort of looks like a beard, sort of like a, you know, almost like a, a dwarf figure. Um, well, it is a dwarf figure, uh, but yeah. uh, one, one unique aspect is that his, his feet are backwards. And uh, that's part of its trickster nature is that if you see footprints and you think that, oh, these are weird, small, you know, footprints, and you think that that means that he's going in one direction, he's actually going the other direction. Um, and I, um, I, I, Anyway, the, I don't, I'm, I don't want to, again, I don't want to scoop if you're talking about the Duende in the upcoming episode, but it is, it's a fascinating story. And one of the aspects of it, which is, which particularly interested me is that um, much like the fairies uh, of, of British folklore, the Duende uh, is said, are said, it depends on whether you think there's one or many of them, but it's basically sort of a singular figure is said to abduct children um, much again, much like the fairies, you can get into sort of the changeling legends uh, even the the Pied Piper of Hamelin, <laughs> the, the child abduction famous case uh, in Hamelin, Germany. Um, but uh, the the Duende are said to abduct children and sometimes bring them at, bring them back um, um, months uh, or even years later. And I just found that fascinating. Like it's like so a baby is abducted and you're like, oh, it's a Duende. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Does that fly? I mean. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We I think we actually did uh cover Duende a little bit and we did an episode on leprechauns. And and I think I think we I, I think that was the one. It's been it's been a while, but I believe we actually blended that in and started talking a little bit about Duende cuz when you said that it it rung a bell and then when you talked about the red cap and backwards feet, I was like, "Oh yeah, we've definitely definitely talked about this at some point." But I'll tell you interesting. Quick, I'll tell you a quick story about that if you're interested. So, I had yeah. um so in my book, Tracking the Chupacabra, uh, one of the chapters is about me looking for the Chupacabra in, um, in, in, uh, in Costa Rica uh, between the border. Actually, in, I'm sorry, in Nicaragua uh, near the border of Panama. And um, I was finishing up the book and I was, you know, looking for, for where, where there might be existing Chupacabra um, out there. And then I, I was one of the most one of the most famous reports of a chupacabra, the the canid version, not the not the bipedal original version, was in uh, 2000 in Nicaragua, and it was on a ranch by a guy named uh, Jorge Talavera, and I won't go into it, but anyway, the, there was a reason why I chose Nicaragua to go investigate, and so I went down there, 
and uh, it's, 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 it was it, this, this portion uh, near uh, Lake Nicaragua that, that, uh, that, uh, that, um, that washes out into the, into the Caribbean. And um, I went with my father and a friend of mine. We were in the jungle for, I think, four or five days. And, uh, and it, was, it was a chore to get there. I mean, you, you, had, to take, you, know, you had to take a bus and then um, and two different boats. And then it's actually a, pr- a protected nature reserve. Anyway, so um, we were out there and in, in the, literally deep in the jungle looking for these things and, and looking for tracks and whatever else. And when we came back, um, we were uh, in this small town, I've forgotten, it's the, at the base of uh, Lake Nicaragua, uh, in s- south of Managua. And, um, you know, we're, we're tired. We've been traveling. I, th- I think it took us most of the day just to get back to this, this smaller city. And while I was there, I, I was asking people, like, yeah, um, um, you know, as long as I'm here, you know, we're leaving the next morning. Um, uh, do you guys, what can you tell me, what can you tell me about the Duende? And they're like, oh, so I'm, I'm uh, the folklorist in me has got this big smile, like, oh, we know the Duende, so they're telling me these stories. And 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 one woman there, actually, who's the the uh, the little hostel I was staying at, she says, yeah, in fact, um, in fact, uh, years ago there was a child abducted from this very village, and it's a small place. I mean, population probably five hundred or something, who was abducted by a Duende. I'm like, oh, I. <laughs> okay so of course i'm suddenly wanting to stay two more days <laughs> to like you know get the story and I'm like oh can i uh, wow and so I, i'm like i'm you know taking down notes like can i can i interview this guy i mean i is he still here this 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 you know who's abducted as, as a baby and 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 i i love to hear what does he remember about it and he said no no uh he's not here anymore he uh, he actually works as a ranger in the biopark reserve and I realized I had just spent the past four days with this guy who grew up to be <laughs> the guy that we were, his name was Fernando. And I didn't know I, uh, that I had, I known at the time, I'd be like, you were abducted by Duende. Tell me that story. But it was, it was just one of those weird ir- ironies that, yeah, you can talk to him, but uh, he's, <laughs> you just came from there. Like, Oh, okay. You know, I'm just now realizing why the Duende uh, is familiar. We talked about it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Because we, we I, as we were telling the story, I was like, oh, you know what? I remember this. Wow, wow. It, we've come we've come full circle. I guess so. Okay. I, I didn't mean it, to repeat myself. Oh, no. No, don't worry about it. Like, it's, it's fascinating, too. Like, I love little cultural things like that. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's worth repeating. I think people find it interesting. Yeah. La- last question, really, I think, before we kind of wrap things up. So when I was looking into ghosts and I found your you know, your top 10 article that it was only, it was only a paragraph. So I was curious if you knew anything more about the flying Dutchman. Cause that piqued my interest for a whole bunch of reasons. Like, I don't think I've ever looked into the practical legend that is the flying Dutchman, like where that came from. Yeah. The flying cam. Okay, uh, it's been a while since I've written about that. As I recall. Uh, yeah. So, I mean the, the, the all right, let, let's back up. So, even though most of the ghosts that people think of are humans, because, you know, you think of ghosts as being the spirits of the dead. Um, that's, that's one interpretation. That's not the only one. Um, even though that's the case, there are, of course, um, spirits and alleged ghosts of, uh, of uh, objects, uh, people, or even, even animals. Um, now, the, 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 the Catholic Church teaching is that um, there can't be a ghost of animals because animals don't have souls. Uh, which is why you don't see, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses trying to convert cows and cattle and chickens and things like that. 
Um, but the idea is that, well, they, they don't have souls. And so if that's true, and I don't necessarily agree with that, but if that's true, then, then by definition, animals wouldn't have souls. And yet there are many stories of, of ghost pets and ghost dogs sort of, you know, coming back to their masters and things like that. Where I'm going with this is that in addition to that, there are, as you mentioned, uh, uh, there, there are legends of ghost ships and there's not just ships, there's ghost carriages, there's ghost cars, um uh ghost sedans i mean there's there's a whole subgenre of of ghostly vehicles trains uh is another example uh but in the case of, of the flying dutchman and and sort of the sea lore specifically uh it blends a couple different things one of them is of course that um that uh that fishermen and sailors tend to be a superstitious lot anyway um for a variety of reasons including of course that superstitions tend to develop in places where people are and people's lives and livelihoods are subjected to nature to it's, you know, so that you, there's very, there are many fewer superstitions about um, accounting or banking than there are about farmers and fishermen and particularly uh, sailors uh, who, you know, you set out to sea, you might not come back. Um, and this is especially true for most of human history, right? These days, people don't think much about, oh, yeah, I, I took a ship here, did that, took a ferry. And every, every now and then, of course, there's a ferry collapse or a ship goes down, um, but very, very rarely. But, you know, if you think several hundred years ago, and again, thousands of years ago, uh, taking to sea was an inherently dangerous proposition. You hopefully came back, you might not. And even, even something as mundane and simple as going out for fish. And so where I'm going with this is that is that's that's one of the that's one of the things that often tends to generate and create uh, superstitions and beliefs like that, because the idea is that if you don't appease nature, if you don't, you know, if you don't placate nature, if you don't, if you're not sufficiently respectful of ghosts or evil entities or, or banshees, for example, in the British Isles or routes, that bad luck will come to you in the form of storms or um, or things like that. So that's part of the answer is that there's a really broad uh, array, array of, of, uh, of ghost legend stories about ghosts specifically, including in Newfoundland. Uh, I was uh, listening to Mark Norman's podcast um, um, a couple months back, and he had a, a guest on who was talking about doing uh, research into ghost ships in Newfoundland. I've forgotten her name, but if anyone was interested, you can dig that up. Um, so that, that's that, that's part of it. Um, and then then another thing that I remember from the the uh, the Flying Dutchman story is that there's different it, 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 there's different versions depending on on um, on which which one you hear. So, for example, in some versions, the Flying Dutchman itself is empty. It's it's not a it's a it's, it's a ship, but there's there's no one manning the ship. And the idea that um, that it's basically looking for victims, right? It, it wants you to be part of the Flying Dutchman. So this is if you're a sailor who doesn't really want to spend eternity on a ghost ship, even one as famous as the Flying Dutchman, then of course this will strike fear in you. Uh, other versions of the story is that no, it is a fully manned ghost ship, uh, complete with you know, <laughs> complete with ghosts and mariners and whatever else. Uh, and that uh, in some cases it might even be beneficial. So even though the Flying Dutchman is technically a ghost, as we as we began the the, the show by talking about, oftentimes in real life, um, and again, <laughs> take for real life whatever you however you take it, uh, ghosts are not inherently scary or evil. And in some cases, ghosts are said to be portents 
of, of good luck or warnings, right? So in, in, in according to some stories, if you see the Flying Dutchman, uh, it's good news because it's 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 a warning that you shouldn't you know go out that day or you shouldn't do whatever you're going to do. So they're they're trying to actually save you. It's interesting. It comes back to that cautionary tale aspect again. Well, cool. This has been a great discussion. I think we've covered some really interesting myths and legends. Uh, I'm excited to get it out there. Uh, what are you working on right now? Let's see. What am I working on? <laughs> <laughs> so busy. Uh, I I have a podcast uh, called Squaring the Strange, uh, which is now in its fifth year. I'm pleased to say, uh, and we're we're putting together some uh, fun stuff for that. We recently did an episode on the Aztec UFO crash and thylacines. I have a book coming out from McFarland Publishers uh, in March or April or something of next year, and the title is America the Fearful, and it's basically a book about how. Um, how fear is used in, uh, in, in culture and society to sort of try and motivate people to, to do things uh, by politicians, uh, journalists, and so on. So it's basically sort of looking at how people are manipulated by, by fear and from, and from sort of the critical thinking and science-based ways to overcome that. Um, that's going to be uh, very relevant, right? About now, yeah, it's going to be very relevant. <laughs> I, yeah, it's uh, it's it, I, we we signed the contract a couple months back, and I'm pleased to say it'll it'll be out. Um, so yeah, I'm just doing that. And if people are interested, they can follow me on uh, Facebook uh, and Instagram. Uh, actually, I'm not Instagram uh, or or MySpace. Don't look for me on MySpace. It's not you're not going to find anything. Uh, <laughs> But I, I am on Twitter uh, and uh, and Facebook, and I can't do anything. I, I can barely keep up with those, so don't look for me anywhere. Um, if anybody wants to read your work about ghosts, uh, what would you recommend they start with? Well, the 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 best book, uh, and I, I don't I'm not bragging. It's just the, the the best the best that I could do. A book that I put together was is titled "Investigating Ghosts: The Scientific Search for Spirits," and um, I'm pleased to say that it actually won a book award. Um, the New Mexico Arizona Book Award, and I wrote it because um, I had previously written a book uh, I mentioned earlier, Scientific Paranormal Investigation, and it's sort of a, an overview of like how to investigate unexplained things, uh, Bigfoot, crop circles, psychics, all sorts of things. But after I wrote that book, I realized that ghost investigation is it's it's such a deep it, it's it's a deep uh, trench. There's there's lots and lots of stuff there. So there was so much of what I was learning and in, in researching uh, that was unique to ghosts uh, specifically. Everything from EVPs to orbs and, and and ghost lore and some of the stuff we talked about today that I really needed to. It really it really deserved its own book. And so uh, if anyone was interested, again, it's the title is Investigating Ghosts. Uh, I won a book award. I think it's like twenty bucks or something. And it's 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 probably well it, it's the last book I'm going to do on ghosts. Um, it's sort of my, <laughs> I, I everything I know is in there. Um, so I, I I've 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 basically retired from ghost hunting at this point. Uh, although I'm still doing the other stuff. Very nice. Well, thanks again uh, for coming on. Love having you on here. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Always always great to talk to you, man. That is all we have for today on Cryptids Decrypted. Benjamin Radford, always one of my favorite guests to have on. I know that we retraced uh, part of our past interviews a little bit, but, you know, even that, it was fun. It was a nice it was a nice journey of rediscovery together. So we have a new episode uh, coming out in two weeks because, hear me out, 
we're actually going to be consistent this season. I have I've made a recording schedule, and the first half of this season will release in two week increments, uh, starting starting today, and then two weeks from now which will be the 12th of October, we've got a spooky new episode with uh, Double Time Myths. We've got two of them, so that's going to be a really good one. We've already recorded that and had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, yeah, so I hope you look forward to that. Thanks again for listening. Uh, Remember, share us around. Uh, Just let us know uh, how we're doing. We really appreciate it. We love interacting with you all. You guys are the best fans, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. See ya.